couple and do premarital counseling. I'm like, look, marriage is really hard because that person who's sitting across from you right now, who one day you're going to marry, they're going to know you better than anybody. They're going to see you in your worst possible moments. They're going to see you before you have your morning coffee. They're going to check you out before you take a shower. They're going to see what you're like when you're hungry, when you're tired. They're going to get the brunt end of your anger. And you know what? There's nothing worse than somebody really knowing who you are, Right? Most of us, at some point in our lives, have made the mistake that resonates long after repentance and forgiveness. Sin is consequences. Today, we'll see what happened after the fall in the garden and how Adam and Eve's choice impacts us today, in our work, in our relationships, in every facet of our lives. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in the book of Genesis, chapter 3, verse 14, with part one of our message entitled, Sin and Consequences. I have entitled today's message simply, Sin and Consequences. And it was funny, on Facebook I had someone say, with a title like Sin and Consequences, maybe I shouldn't come. And I can relate to the sentiment, really, because it's kind of like, oh, man. But the reality is, is that sin has consequences. It does for us, and it did for Adam and Eve. Now, if you recall where we left off in, at the end of this little section here, we found that man, Adam and his wife Eve, had eaten of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and now... First, they realized that they were naked and they were ashamed, so religion began, and so they started to cover themselves with fig leaves. And then they heard God walking in the garden, and they decided to hide themselves. And it's been rightly said that the Bible teaches not man in search of God, actually quite the contrary. The Bible teaches that man, by nature, hides from God. And really, God is in search of mankind, That's actually a book by an Orthodox rabbi named Abraham Joshua Heschel, who was a big person in the uh, civil rights movement. But what's unfortunate is that Dr. Heschel didn't realize that God was in search of man in the person of Jesus. And the Apostle John makes that very clear in John chapter 1, where it says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. God came looking for humanity. And that is the difference between Christianity and other faiths, other belief structures, is that Christianity is truly not what we're trying to do to be right with God, but that God has come and sought us out through the person of his son Jesus, through the ministry of his Holy Spirit who draws us to him. And that's a glorious thing when you realize that, that your faith is not about what you do, it's about what God has done on your behalf, in the name of Jesus, and our lives are lived in response to that. 
And our life of faith, our life of service, our life of joy, our life of self-sacrificial love is not something that we need to try and do to make God happy with us. Instead, it's a response to God's glorious love, God's glorious grace. And in light of that, we're like, well, this is the only way to be. And so it's not about what we do. It's about who God is and what God has done. But for Adam and Eve on that day, Sin has consequences. It does. And as much as we don't like it, as much as we wish it wasn't so, it it is so. So what ends up happening, if you recall, God asked Adam, what'd you do? Did you eat? And he said, yeah, it's, well, the woman you gave me. You know, so Adam goes to blame Eve. Really, he blames God. Lord, you gave me this woman. It's your fault. And then Eve's like, well, the serpent deceived me. And trying to pass the buck to the serpent. And of course, as I said last week, there was no one else there, so the serpent got stuck with the hot potato. But what's interesting is as we pick up in verse 14, from verses 14 to verse 19, we see the consequences, the curses laid out. It begins in verse 14. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go You shall eat dust all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And in verse 16 to the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception in pain. You shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. And to Adam, he said, because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying, you shall not eat of it, cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat it all the days of your life, both thorns and thistles. It shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. So what we get here is we get three sets of curses because of what's gone on. And it begins with the serpent. Notice it says, because you have done this. This reminds us of what Jesus said in Mark chapter 9, verse 42. It says, but whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. See, the serpent was a cause of stumbling. And Jesus says this, that if you cause someone who believes in me to stumble, it'd be better if you had a millstone hung around your neck. Now, you know, if if you have a TV at home, I know some of you are more spiritual than Jesus, so you don't. I'm not knocking if you don't. But, you know, it's like uh, on one of the stations, it's like the Godfather Marathon. You know, and being all Italian from New Jersey, that's like a coming-of-age ceremony. It's like they sit you down, and they only make you watch the first two, because everyone knows that the third one is like of a different sort. But I bring that up because when Jesus says it would be better if he had a millstone hung around your neck, in a godfather speak, he's saying Luca Brazzi sleeps with the fishes. So let the godfather fan understand. But the, the idea, a millstone was, was a big rock. It'd be like, imagine taking a boulder necklace and putting it around your neck and throwing you in the water. So it's meant to weigh you down. That's what Jesus is talking about. He says, you'd rather be drowned than cause someone to stumble. And the serpent's issue was that he caused Adam and Eve to stumble. He put a temptation in front of them. 
And one of the ways that we love people is by not being sources of temptation for people. And if you want more on this, read Romans chapters 14 and 15, where it talks about the law of liberty, that if your conscience doesn't, isn't pricked by certain things, you should feel the liberty to do it. But the law of liberty is always trumped by the law of love. And if your liberty causes someone to stumble, then you shouldn't do it. Because we love people more than we love our own liberty. We care more about people than exercising our own liberty. And that's an important thing for us. Now, for the serpent, it says, you're cursed more than the cattle and every beast of the field. And it says that on your belly, you shall go and you shall eat dust. Now, does this mean that the serpent stood upright and now it's going to be on his belly? It doesn't necessarily say that. It just says that you're going to be cursed and you're going to travel on your belly. Some commentators say that maybe the serpent was stood upright and then he has to slither on his belly. The text doesn't say that. And we all know that serpents don't eat dust for meals. If you ever had a snake at home, they don't eat dust for fun. So this, this is obviously a poetic reality. And the idea of eating dust it really means complete humiliation and subjugation. That's what it means. So it's saying that the snake is going to stay on the ground all the days of its life. It's total defeat. And the thing is, is you've never seen a snake jump, have you? They're completely bound to the ground. And that's part of the curse that this serpent received. Now also, once you move into verse 15, it gets really strange because it says, and I will put enmity, which means severe interpersonal conflict. That's what enmity means. We don't really use that word anymore, but it really means a lot of conflict in an amplified form between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. Now you might say, well, this makes sense because I've never seen a woman who likes snakes. I'm being cheeky. But it's true. I mean, I haven't seen too many gals who do. And if you're one of those gals with the exception of the rule, that's okay. But he's talking about something else here, that there's going to be conflict between the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman. And it has its culmination in verse 15. It says, he shall bruise your head. Speaking of the seed of the woman shall bruise the seed of the serpent's head and you shall bruise his heel. Now, the the Puritans call this the proto-euangelion. Now, I'm going to explain that. That's two Greek words. Proto means the first, and euangelion is we get our word evangelism from. So they would say that Genesis chapter 3, verse 15 is the first telling of the gospel. And the gospel is the good news. The idea that the seed of the serpent, his head will be crushed by the seed of the woman. And that the serpent seed will be able to get his heel. And that most commentators would say that this is speaking of the seed of the serpent getting the heel is the crucifixion of Jesus. Satan thought he had victory at that moment when Jesus was crucified. But when Jesus was resurrected from the dead, the power of Satan got crushed. Satan's head was crushed. So this is really the first telling of the gospel. And it's interesting that in Galatians chapter 3 and in Galatians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul goes through a lot of pains to talk about Jesus as the seed. It's actually the Hebrew or the Greek word is the word sperma, which we get our word sperm from. So it's the offspring of the woman. 
is going to crush the head of the offspring of the serpent. And this all speaks about the victory that God wins in Christ. Very first place you get the gospel, right here in Genesis 3, 15. Now, as you move to verse 16, now we get to the cursing of the woman. And this is rough. I'll be honest with you. When you read these things, you're like, man, this is not fun. It's interesting that the woman and her husband were to have enjoyed the blessing of children. We get that in Genesis 1.28. And a harmonious partnership in marriage, which you got in chapter 2. And the judgment relates precisely to these two points. What woman once had as a blessing to be married and to have children now becomes tainted by the curse. First, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain you shall bring forth children. So a great blessing for a woman is to bear children. Now, I really I have to say this because we live in a day and age where for long stretches of human history, women were happy that they could bear children and that they were happy that they could be married. That was a good thing. We live in a day and age now where there's a whole lot of people who think that, you know, it's demeaning for a woman to have children. And, oh, who needs, you know, a husband? Now, don't get me wrong. Women are not defined by childbearing or by their husbands, they are beautiful in God's sight on their own. But there's nothing worse than trying to deny the way that you were created. Like we live in a day and age, and you can read books about this. There's a sociological study called The Lonely Americans. And it talks about how Americans in the 21st century have more opportunity to connect with people through technology and things, but yet feel more lonely. And most of you know what it's like. There's a part of you that craves relationships, and then right as you get in a relationship, you're terrified of them. And so there's this tension of desiring relationships and then fleeing relationships. And really, that is the human condition because we were created for relationship in the image and likeness of God to have relationship. The first thing God that said wasn't good was that man was alone. So we were created for deep, heartfelt, interpersonal relationships. But yet because of our fallenness, we fear them, don't we? When someone gets too close, we feel vulnerable. That's why marriage is so tough. Whenever I get to sit down with a couple and do premarital counseling, I'm like, look, marriage is really hard because that person who's sitting across from you right now, who one day you're going to marry, they're going to know you better than anybody. They're going to see you in your worst possible moments. They're going to see you before you have your morning coffee. They're going to check you out before you take a shower. They're going to see what you're like when you're hungry, when you're tired. They're going to get the brunt end of your anger. And you know what? There's nothing worse than somebody really knowing who you are, Right? When we're going to ask somebody to be an elder or pastor, I always go and talk to their wives first. Always. Because I, kn- I know that for you guys, your wife knows who you are. I hear someone laughing back there. <laughs> but see, the fall of Adam and Eve has implications now, both on the opportunity to bear children and on their relationship with their husband. Now we get that In pain, you shall bring forth children. Now, I got to see my wife have two kids, and I am grateful. She's a superwoman. I don't know how she did it, you know? I mean, it's just nuts. You know, you're just like, man, 
I know if it was me, I'd be like, give me an epidural twice. Ow. Listen, you ladies who've had kids, you know what this is like. Okay? You, you realize that that, what, I didn't want to get into it. <laughs> Whenever I think of childbirth, I think of crowning. So you ladies, you know, it's like that last, when, that last when the head, you know, and it's like, I just want to, I want to get an epidural just thinking about it. Thank God for epidurals, though. For, I mean, so, I know, listen, so, some of you ladies are really like, you're like, man, I ain't going to take no drugs, you know? You all know the reality of what happens when a woman gives birth. It's not pretty, but it gets done. And Pastor Bill just spoke about this, so I don't want to belabor the point. But obviously, it hurts a lot. Secondly, in regards to her husband, it says, your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. Now, this is rough. What it says is that a woman's urge or her desire, her passion is going to be for her husband, but yet he will have a place of authority. Now, this is a fascinating concept, and I honestly could take two weeks in just exploring what this means. The reality is this, is most of you gals. Now, I have to say most because there's always exceptions to the rule. But most women would tell you, if they're really being honest, they'll tell you that in regards to their spouse, there is always a type of an insecurity that exists there. That there's just a times where whenever you feel like, I'm just not good enough for this guy. And most of you, you women, you know what that's like. I mean, there's, there's a, I, I shared it with the Marrieds Fellowship. There's this great thing where it shows this picture and, and, and the guy's sitting on one end of the couch. He's kind of staring off into the space and the gal's sitting on the other head. She looks very concerned and it shows his, her diary and his diary. Now we know it's not real because guys don't have diaries, but you can, you can, you can roll with it. And her diary says, you know, he showed up late for our dinner. And, and he just seemed really distracted. I wonder if he was thinking about somebody else. And, you know, and there's this whole big thing of this insecurity. And he goes on. And it's like, it's like three paragraphs. And she's like, and then he came home and, and he didn't have anything to say. And, and then he just went to bed. And I cried myself to sleep. Now it was her diary. It was this whole big thing. And then his diary is, the motorcycle can't start. I can't figure out why. Those of you who are married, you know what that's like, right? Because there, in, in a woman's fallenness, because her desire is for her husband, there is always this feeling, I, I desire this man. I desire to please this guy. I want this guy to be happy with me. There's always this sometimes not so latent insecurity that you're just not enough, that you don't float his boat, that you're not doing it well enough. And I don't know how many times I've counseled couples and the, what they're disagreeing about is not the issue. That's just the playing field for, on the wife's side of things, this insecurity to play itself out. So I always tell women when they start talking about it, I'm like, listen, you have to realize that your husband is not wired. Because most guys, a woman's like, I'm concerned about our relationship. He's like, our relationship is just fine. I don't understand why she's so freaked out. Because of this. One of the curses of the fall for women is that they are desiring unity and, and, and happiness in their marriage. And there's a fear because of this desire that they're not good enough. 
Now also, of course, in regards to gender roles in marriage, the idea of male headship, and that's a long discussion, and I don't have time to do it, but there is a lot of discussion about women desiring the position of headship that God has given to your husbands. Now, I need to say this. If you look at Ephesians chapter 5, and you look at male and female roles, husband and wife roles, most people say, well, the Apostle Paul is sexist. The Bible is sexist. And you know what? I agree. Because Paul is anti-male. I'm serious. You women got it easy. It says, wives, submit to your husbands. It says, husbands, love your wives and give up your lives for them. So if you have the option, option A, submit. Option B, die. Which one would you choose? (laughs) Uh, Submission, please. I'll keep my life. I'll submit. Now, I need to say this. You don't submit to your husband, you ladies. You submit to Jesus and your husband gets the benefit. Your submission is not to your husband. It's to the Lord. And your husband gets the benefit. You guys, you don't die for your wife. You die for Jesus for your wife. We do it as unto the Lord and our spouses get the benefit. So it's interesting that the curse to the woman has to do with the pain and childbearing and discord within her relationship with her husband. Then we get to the, to the guys. In verse 17, then to Adam he said, because you have heeded the voice of your wife, wow, Because you listen to your wife. So guys, don't ever listen to your wives. No, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. That's what happens if you get overly literal on the Bible. Look, it says because you have listened to your wife. Guys would be like, that's why I don't put the remote control down. (laughs) She's like, change the station. No, you got to go read Genesis 3.17. It's because you listen to your wife. But because you listen to the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you. Now listen, you you guys, listen. In leading your families, you need to do what God says, not what your wife wants. And that's important. God holds husbands responsible for their families. And sometimes in our servant leadership, we need to serve our families by denying our spouses what they want. And that's a serious deal, isn't it? Sometimes your wife's saying, hey, look, you know, we can't tithe because I need to go get my hair done. I'm just, I'm kidding. I'm being facetious. Sorry. You guys, look, God is going to hold you responsible for your families, whether you like it or not. And would to God that at the end of our days, God says, well done, my good and faithful servant. You sought to honor me and love your wife. And I'm serious, guys. We live in a day and age where guys are mailing it in. Most guys can tell you sports scores better than they can tell you Bible verses. So it's not a memorization problem. It's a passion problem. Most guys can tell you what the ticker of their stock portfolio is, but when it comes down to give me a verse, you know, give, give me a verse that you wash your wife with. I don't like reading. Come on. God holds us responsible as men. And real men step up to that plate. Real men say, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go hard after Jesus, and I'm going to love my wife. And I'm going to parent my kids. I'm going to father my children. And I'm going to raise them. Jesus is... 
I want to thank you so much for listening to Jesus's Real Radio. We are on the radio because we want to see all of God's children learn how to simply respond to Jesus. Jesus is at street level. He is where the rubber meets the road in your world and in my world, right where we are and where everybody is. And it is our hope to see Jesus's Real Radio reach every single living soul who is alive on the earth in this generation. God's heart is that not any should perish, but that all would come to repentance. And we realize the radio is an amazing opportunity to reach some of the more than six or seven billion people on the earth. So listen. We're on the radio because people have given so that we can be. Now listen, God is generous and God invites us to be generous in the entirety of our lives. You should be plugged into a local church and you should be faithfully giving to that local church. We thank God for the local congregation scattered all over the world. But if you're one of those people who want to step into giving over and above what you would to your local congregation, and if you're being blessed by the Jesus is Real Radio ministry, we would invite you to come and partner with us. Literally, we want to see the message of the good news of the finished work of Jesus not only reach everybody here in America, but everybody across Europe, in the 1040 window, across Southeast Asia, all the way, all the way to the Far East for us. We want everyone here, and it's going to take people like you and like me to step on into that. So seek the Lord and simply respond to Jesus, and we're going to trust Him to do all that He wants to do with Jesus' Real Radio. God bless you. My